Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Thank you for being here today. There are a few people that catch this online, and I'd rather them get a a normal experience if possible. But uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians 4. Not that any experience with the Lord is is normal necessary. But uh, uh, anyway, we're in the second part of the Renovate series. And uh, last week, I hope was inspirational to you. Something I think that was really working on me. And this whole series, I think, is just going to be a real check to my, to my spirit, a check to what I'm doing and the way I'm thinking. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through these ideas of the way we think, the way we feel, the way we interact, and how that the person of Jesus Christ, how the Holy Spirit of God should be really drastically changing those atmospheres, those, the way we think, the way that we react, the way that we act in, in certain situations should be greatly affected by who we are in Christ Jesus. And this idea of renovate is that because of what Jesus is doing in us, because of of the work of the Holy Spirit of God, our lives should be transforming. And sometimes when we first come to Christ, I've noticed people have a lot of change initially, but then it starts to wear off. And I don't want that to happen in you, and I don't want it to happen in me. That The process of walking with Christ is, is ongoing until He takes us home, that He's not done. There's a reason we're still here, because He's still working on us and through us. The, the, the sermon series, the theme for this is out of Proverbs chapter 4, where it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. That means keep it with, with all of your might, for from it flows the springs of life. In fact, a, a writer, a book that I've been reading through called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, he says plainly this, we live from our hearts. We live inside out, not outside in. That's true. There could be a lot of things that are impacting us and coming through our eyes and and into our ears. But truthfully, what's happening in the heart is what causes us to live the way we live. And so our hearts are like this seat of will, the control center, if you will. The, the, The processing power is there in the heart, the place where all decisions are made. And it has an effect on everything, certainly. And this... This Sunday, today, we're going to talk about this idea of renovating the mind, renovating our thinking, and that takes a great deal of humility first, but also a great deal of of giving over to the will of of God, because our thinking is greatly impacted by many things, some of which have nothing to do with Christ. And so as we dig in today, our key verse this morning, and we're going to read this whole passage in a moment, is out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, where it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That word renewed there could easily be translated and is in the Strong's Dictionary translated renovate. Renovate the spirit of your minds. Today's message, renovate your thinking. What does it mean then? What does that look like? What do we have to consider in order to, to, to begin to renovate our thinking? Well, there's four main factors according to this, this study I was, I was going through with, with Dallas Willard. It says, he suggests that there's four main factors. Those are our ideas, our images, our information, and our ability to think. And the two most powerful ones are ideas and images. And I think that's true because... When you think about it, everything that's coming through your mind, almost all of it, probably at least 90% or more, is either an idea or an image. 
In fact, if I say a uh, white horse, probably immediately your brain can picture a white horse. It's funny how the brain works. You immediately see a white horse. If I say love, however, that's an idea. Now, you might picture a person, but in, in a sense, something like evil or love, those are ideas that have great depth of meaning. And so we work so much what comes through our heads, what comes through our eyes and our ears, are ideas and images that inhabit and impact our thinking. Our mindset then, our worldview, if you were, is shaped by these things or it's shaped by the ideas of the Word of God, applied through grace and through the Spirit of God. And that's, I believe, the challenge for us today. Is those ideas, images, those things that are constantly in our heads and constantly something for us to interpret, are they of greater impact than the Word of God or vice versa? Is, is His Word, is Christ Jesus, is the Holy Spirit of God, is that what translates our worldview or something else? Well, that's the idea here today, is that our thinking could be somewhat double-minded. I think believers, let's just be honest with ourselves on this, no matter how strong your faith, no matter how perhaps spiritually mature you, today you, you're feeling, there's always moments of being double-minded where you want your own will or the will of someone else above God's. And it's a real challenge in life to, to constantly be coming back to the feet of Christ and saying, all right, I want what you want. I really want what you want, not just what I want, not just what the world says I should want. I, I want to think the way that you think. I want to see the world through your eyes. That has to happen daily, if not moment by moment. Because there's constantly things invading our minds that would cause us to be double-minded. Wouldn't you like to have the right mind on life? I'm convinced of this. If we could have the right mind, we would have real peace. We would have real joy. We would see people correctly rather than out of a heart of anger or a heart of anxiety. Because some people make us anxious, some make us angry, some make us happy, but not all of the time. It would make us see people correctly. It would, it would help us to experience life the way it was intended. If we could just have the mind of Christ. Which the Gospels, which the, the Bible promises that we have in Christ Jesus. We have been given the mind of Christ. So what's the problem? Our lack of accessing it, I guess. The fact that we would choose our thoughts over His rather than the other way around. This is where Paul's going to be today, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, is encouraging them to yield their minds to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, he's teaching, he taught the believers here to yield their minds, their thinking to Christ for renewal, for transformation, in fact, for renovation. And we can do this. We can The same words that were inspirational to the church at Ephesus can inspire us again today, that we can yield our minds, our thinking to Christ I believe the text is going to give three very clear ways we can yield our minds to Christ for renovation. So Ephesians chapter 4, picking up at verse 17 through verse 24. It says this, Now this I say, I hear is Paul, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen? Now you'll notice there's some similarities to last week. This idea of old self, new self is a theme throughout many of Paul's letters. In fact, it's a theme throughout Christ's teaching as he speaks of new wine and, and, and old wine skins. That whole parable there, that, that whole teaching he does there. And so it's, it's a theme throughout Scripture that what has happened to us in Christ Jesus is we've been made new. And that is true in actuality and spiritual and the spiritual nature of we are fully Christ. We have been made new. But what's funny is we have this tendency to live in the old. We have a hard time really putting off the way we always were. Even I got saved when I was six years old. But the funny thing is there's still this fleshly nature that drives me, right? And so even though, yeah, I put off the old self at six where there wasn't a whole lot of old self at six. But since then, there have been many things to go through my eye gate, my ear gate, into my mind that have caused me to be double-minded at times. Rather than to put those things away and to put on Christ, it's true we are seated, we are seated at the right hand of the Father. That, those things are true positionally, but experientially, we have a choice. In fact, I really think that's what Paul is making sure we know here. <laughs> That, that there is a possibility that we would walk as the Gentiles do, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it this way. He said, I, I testify and I say to you that you must no longer walk as they do. Now, if it was a guarantee, he wouldn't give us that instruction. If it were a guarantee that when you come to Christ, you will no longer live as the rest of the world, then he wouldn't give you this teaching. The, <laughs> the truth is, however, and you know this to be true, that when you came to Christ, the battle remained, right? The redemption has been given. Power over sin has been freely received by grace. But this process of what we might call abiding, or a process of what we might call sanctification, doesn't happen overnight. And for some of us, it takes a great deal of time, depending on the distance from God we were when we came to Him. There might have been a whole lot of stuff that needed to be made holy. And so that's why Paul writes, look, there were some things you used to be. You are not that anymore positionally. Now yield yourself and believe it and follow Christ in all of your being, not just your heart, but your mind as well. This leads us to the first way. How to yield our minds to God for renovation. Recognize first the need to put off your old way of thinking. There's a great need here that you put away the way you used to think. And this can still happen even if you've been walking with Christ for a while. You may have, for a season, been allowing a lot of different things to filter through other than the Word of God, other than time spent with the Lord. And you might have really begun to have what you might call some real stinking thinking. The way you think about others, the way that you... Uh, process the world might all be very, very dark rather than enlightened by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. That's why he writes in verse 17 and then spends some time for a few, a few verses to describe what that might look like. So if this is you today, there's so much hope. There's so much grace for you. I want you to understand you're not alone for one and you're not left behind. If you have a sense when I read through that that you feel darkened in your understanding, 
If you feel like there's futility in your mind, futility here has the sense of emptiness or, or meaninglessness. That maybe sometimes when you look at your world, you go, what is the point? That you look around and you go, why? And all you can ever come back to is just a sense of emptiness and a void, if you will, a futility. That's how so many people feel, but in Christ Jesus you've been changed. And there's something beyond, if it's pain, there's something beyond the pain. If it's, if it's a season of, of doubt, if it's a season of, even a season of joy, there's something beyond that. We were made eternally for an eternal position in, in heaven. We have eternity in our minds. And that's why oftentimes when we look at the things of this world, they do feel empty. It's because there's something more for us. And there's a bigger plan at stake. And so this futile mind, some of, us, some of us struggle with that. The darken in our understanding, that's the sense of like not being able to see through. This is, has the idea of, of blindness. Is that I can't, I can't figure out what, where I'm supposed to go tomorrow. I, I, I can't figure out what, where I'm heading in this life. I can't figure out if this career path is where I should be. I'm in this relationship. I can't see through it whether this is someone I should be with. There's so many questions in this life. And yet, we have the mind of Christ. And don't you think he has a really specific desire and a really specific will for who you might marry? A really, really important desire for what you might do with your hands, with your minds, and with your, with your strength in this life? I think he very much cares and has a very, very good plan for you. But you may feel today that you're walking in darkness. Maybe you feel alienated. That is, your fellowship feels cut off. I think a believer can experience this. Now, I want you to know something. Positionally, that's just a lie. You've never been cut off. He said, I will never forsake you. <laughs> I get, that is a promise. That is a guarantee that I stake my faith in. He doesn't forsake or cut me off or alienate me, but my fellowship with him may feel strained. And it's never his fault. It's always mine. It's always because I've wandered off. And doubted him or stopped trusting him or thought my own way was better and I've wandered aside. And I may feel alienated today, but I don't have to remain there. These things, Paul is saying, in Christ Jesus, they are no longer true. So stop living like they're true. Living like, uh, in verse 18, having a hardness of heart. feeling Verse 19, feeling calloused. That is, I have gotten to a point where I just cannot stop feeling the way I feel about God, about others. I think we get here as humans. We just do, no matter what, what the journey has been with the Lord, we have such a tendency to get hard-hearted either towards Him or towards others or even towards what we see in the mirror. And we begin to look at that, even look at ourselves and go, you will never change. You will always be a mess. And that's the hardness of heart. And Paul writes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. You are new in Christ Jesus. You've been given the mind of Christ. And it means we have to put off some ways of thinking that, let's be honest, some of this makes us comfortable. It's easier for us to write off people. Let me just use relationships for a moment. The way we think about people, it's oftentimes this person has rubbed me the wrong way. This person said something to me in the past. This person did something that I cannot forgive. And I would like to continue on the path of thinking, I cannot stand this person. And it is easier. We have to admit in one capacity to just avoid them. Unless it's family and then it's like, ah, 
I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll do Thanksgiving this year because he's going to be there. We want to write it off. We want to, we want to dodge it. Workplace, it's, it might be a coworker, but we work diligently not on whether or not is heading in the right direction, but whether or not can the next promotion just get me out of the space where that person is. And we care less about our trajectory and more about just distancing ourselves from people. <laughs> Some of you have to go home with this person today. And you had a fight last night. You had a fight this morning, maybe. You couldn't even make it to church without fighting today. And it would be easier to just say, you know what? He's wrong. She's wrong. I'm done with them today until they come begging for mercy. <laughs> That's not the Christian way to think. That's not Christ in us. Christ in us somehow forgives my mess. I cannot, I, I, I have to admit this. I have to come back to that every single day and go, I cannot believe that God would forgive someone like me. I know how I think. I know what I've done. I'm not perfect. I'm an absolute mess. Maybe my rap sheet isn't as bad as y'all's, but perhaps it's as bad in my mind. There's a mess going on up there sometimes. And yet he forgives me daily and loves me and calls me back into fellowship with him. He doesn't avoid me like I do with so many people that have hurt me in some way. For some reason, I keep coming back to this, and Christ keeps doing it, that I can't think this way anymore. It can't be how I think. That the people who frustrate me, that the people who in the past I've belittled in my mind, or even verbally, i got to put that aside because that's not Christ in me. Instead, He loves them. He loves them a whole lot, just like He loves me. And so I can't put this person aside, even though that would be easier to just avoid these people. Oh, I saw them in the grocery store. <laughs> I hope they didn't see me. There's some, there's some interesting people I've run into in this life that sometimes I really want to avoid. But now, now when I see them, I have to just have a mental check with myself. My brain goes, run! And my heart goes, stay. And somebody's got to win. I'm trying to get the heart of Christ to win. There's a lot of other things like this, though. Ways of thinking that are comfortable are ways of thinking that we end up going back to. Why? Because what he describes in verses 18 through 19, we have to admit this, are fun things. There's a reason that people have a tendency towards what he calls sensuality or impurity. It's not because these things are, are, are the worst things on the earth. No, it's because these things feel really good. There's a reason our flesh has a tendency to go back to, un, to sensuality. This is a word that really means just unbridled excess. That you would live lavishly, without shame. That you could just engage every one of your passions, every one of your lusts even. That you could just go all in on that. And there's things that we all want in this life. And sometimes we want them way too much. And if we're just human and there is no God and there is no way of thinking beyond just this, then we ought to do that. We ought to live to the absolute fullest our very passions, greedy to practice every impurity. This is the sense of, of, of living out every unclean, immoral, whatever comes to our minds. Just do it because it feels good. Do what feels best. And there's a reason that most of the world lives that way. I don't, I'm not surprised. I'm not even... It's not even confusing to me. I totally understand that. And yet at the end of the day, here's what I know is true. That's not eternal life. In fact, it's not even real life. It's not even, it's not even what God has designed me for. Because you know what He designed me for? Himself. 
He created this world not so that we would just enjoy the world, although that's fine. He created this world and put us in it that we might be with Him and worship Him. We have a purpose, and it is not unbridled, lavish living. We can do it. We can certainly do it. The rest of the world is. But it's not where we actually find true life. So he says, what, what, what do we do with that? Verse 22, we get the first group. These, none of these are technically imperatives, but they're acting like it. This, these three verbs here, to put off, to put on, they feel command language. And the first one is this, put off. Much like last week, here he says, put off the former manner of life. Put off those deceitful desires. The word there for desire is epithumia. The word thumia means uh, to, to heat up. It's where we get the word thermos or thermostat. It's this idea of that you would begin to feel hot, right? And epi is over. So it's the idea of having a, an overheat or an over-desire for something. This word epithumia appears throughout the text of Scripture, and it always has to do with the sense of to want something way too much, to have this excessive desire. He says in Christ Jesus, put those things off. How did our thinking get so futile? How did this happen? Well, there's, I could chase a lot of things in, in throughout the Old Testament, but here's one place where Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what happened. What does it take? What is the simple step that we can take in order to have a futile mind, a darkened understanding, an alienation from God? It's a very simple move. Yeah, there might be a God, but I don't want anything to do with Him. Okay, well, maybe there isn't a God at all. Paul says, and this is a strong statement, and I know there's a lot of people in your life that would disagree with this, but I think it's true. I think everyone knows there's a God. I really do. But I think there's a lot of reasons that people say there isn't or they run from it. Because if there is a God, then I'm not. If there is a God, then I'm not. And He's in charge. If there's a true creator, then I am a creation and not in charge. That is a hard pill for most people to swallow. For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him. What does it take then on the flip side of that? If that's what makes me feel darkened or makes me feel like there's a void in my thinking, then knowing God more would really, really be the big fix, wouldn't it? That would be the essential thing I must do is to know God more. In fact, that's why the Westminster Catechism says to know God and to enjoy Him fully is the chief end of man. That is our main purpose, to know God and enjoy Him forever. I think they nailed that because that's what we're for. And that gives us meaning in relationships. The better I know God, the better I know how to father. The better I know my children because He knows them fully. He sees them clearly. So if I really know Him and His will and in the mind of Christ, then I know what my kids should be and should be doing. I know my wife better. I know you better, church, if I know God and His will. I will see you the right way. And I will see people throughout my life the right way. We have mental strongholds that must be demolished by the Spirit and by the Word. This is why Paul writes to the Corinthian church. The, whip, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to His will. If you're renovating a house, I'm currently renovating my kitchen. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not very much fun. Maybe the outcome will be worth it. I'll let you know. But first step is you got to do a bunch of demos. Some of that's fun. Some of that's really good time. A sledgehammer is fun. Digging up tile, I'm going to let you know, is probably one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. I absolutely hated it. Hated it. Demo, pieces of it are fun. There's a whole lot of waiting. There's a whole lot of process. There's so many steps that if you try to manage this yourself, it's super frustrating. You uncover, I can almost guarantee you will uncover some workmanship that surprises you. Unless you built the house yourself, you're going to uncover some things and go, what happened here? Somebody cut some corners, somebody was in a hurry, or somebody had a really wild idea. I uncovered tile and then linoleum and then linoleum. I'm like, wow, there's, I could see the history of this house as I unpack this kitchen. And strange decisions were made in there. Wallpaper on wallpaper, layers of things. I could see their history. I knew it was a process. I knew I would unpack a whole bunch of things. This is really what Christ is calling us to here, that the idea of putting off the old self is, this is why in another passage, there's this idea of consider the cost of the project before you begin it. And I want to just tell you something that may sound discouraging, but it it will encourage you if you understand it. And that is to renovate your mind, to renovate your thinking, there is a cost. And I want you to consider it as you begin, that there are some ways you've been living life that are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're inspired by something else. They're inspired perhaps by the culture, perhaps by the way you were raised, and you may have thought, well, the way I was raised was totally Christian. Well, maybe close, but people are people. There's a whole lot of things we must consider and count the cost. There are a whole lot of isms, and I'm going to give you a couple of isms really quick. Worldviews that are counter to the gospel. I'm really going to make some friends in this section. Just as I was planning this, I'm like, this one, I might tick everybody off. If I, if I go far enough with my isms, I'll get you all. And then you all hate me and never come back. But we'll see what happens. But there's a lot of worldviews that aren't word of God, and they all have ism at the end. The first one, and most of us would reject this, although we often live by it, and that is materialism. This is the idea that the fundamental substance is in nature, including our consciousness, which is merely a function of the brain. Materialism says that the mind and the soul are denied. There is nothing that is truly immaterial. Now, most of us believers would totally push this aside, and yet the way we live, however, shows that all we care about are material things rather than the things that are immaterial. If there is this wonderful world of spirit and immaterial, and we really believe that, isn't it surprising that we spend so little time going there and so little time thinking and praying and spending time in that environment if we really believe it? A lot of Christians, we have to admit, we struggle with this. We don't adopt the theory, yet we live it out. The second is sexism, that everything is about Gender. Everything is a prejudice, a stereotype. Now, this one I could really dig into and eventually probably tick everybody off. I'm not going to try to do that today. I just want you to consider the fact that maybe everything isn't based on 
your self-image. This is what he talked about in Colossians. He said, it's not about man and female. It's not about slave and free, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, Jew. Those things, all in all in Jesus. That's who we are. We're Christian. And that's great. That's great news. Here's one that I'm sure will make you all happy. And yet it has had a, an extreme impact. And that is this, this thing called radical feminism. All right. Ooh, here we go. Let's go down it. It blames the exploitation of women on men. It portrays women. Now this, i got to admit, not most of you probably don't think this way, although you may live it out. And it portrays women as universally good and men as universally bad. It believes that gender differences should then, in fact, be eradicated and aims at a state of androgyny in which gender roles and identities are eliminated. What's interesting about this form of feminism is that eventually it is not feminism at all. That if we aim towards androgyny, none of us are masculine or feminine. There is no gender. And that is the eventual aim of so many in our society. And yet there's a nugget of that that we may adopt and go, wait a minute, but if I follow that line of thinking to its clear conclusion, it's so far from what God intended. Humanism. This is the thought that attaches prime importance to human beings rather than to the divine and the supernatural. The humanist believes that innate goodness is a characteristic of human beings. It denies evil and sin, blaming bad behavior simply on a lack of money or a lack of education. It believes in this idea of human perfectibility. A lot of people think this way. They may not be able to label it. But to talk of this term that we sometimes throw around, and that is total depravity, that explodes their thinking. Oh, wait a minute. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, a humanist will struggle greatly with such a, such a verse. There's so many other isms. There's one that has come full force back in. Really, I don't know why it was and since COVID that all of a sudden this racism has returned in full force to our nation. Not that it fully went away. There's so many other isms, though. If that one didn't fit you, I could probably bring up nationalism and some of you go, hold up. Uh, there's so many different isms that impact our worldview. And most of them, if in fact, I would make the argument, probably none of them are fully inspired by the Word of God. That really would fully follow His will. And so i got to throw away all my isms you okay to throw away all your isms? Then in order to renovate your mind, you have to go, wait a minute. Why am I thinking that way? Why am I doing life that way? Why do I, why do I act this way around these people? Is it inspired by God or inspired by something else? Is your thinking shaped by your isms? Are you willing to take every thought captive? I would suggest we all do this together. Be willing to put off any of these things that inspire wrong thinking and make room for the mind of Christ, which isn't American, which isn't racial, which isn't any of these things. It isn't gender-based. The mind of Christ is above. It is more. You with me? You still hanging in there? Put off the old way of thinking. That's step one. The next is this, learn to continually submit your thinking to Christ. We can begin the process and start throwing out the isms and start shoveling all the dirt out of our thinking and out of our minds, but then tomorrow is a new day. And you can click on and find some new information on the news and it'll give you some new thoughts. 
You can go on to every social media platform. You can just go into your workplace and you will get bombarded with new information that can impact your thinking. So this is a process that must be continual then. That we continually submit our thinking to Christ Jesus. In fact, that's why in verse 20 and on, he says, that's not the way you learn Jesus. You didn't learn Jesus this way. You weren't taught Christ this way. Instead, verse 23, I invite you. This is a present infinitive. This is the idea that you would do it continuously, daily, moment by moment. That you would be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That you would renovate, that you would reform. The sense of the word literally is that you would make it young again. That you're, every day, in fact, you would come afresh to the Word of God in prayer with Him, seeking His face, seeking His will, and going, all right, fresh slate again today, God. Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to think? Who do you want me to engage today? I have a fresh slate every day. That's the sense of this word is to be made young, to be made a babe once again, to be renewed. Every day we are either polluting our minds or we're renewing them. We just don't have the ability to really be gray on this, do we? Our brains are simply constantly bombarded, either visually, hearing, even stuff we put in our mouth and go, woo-hoo-hoo! There's constantly, it's either polluting or it's renewing. But it's not indifferent. Stott, when writing about this, he says very clearly, this verb here is in distinction from the verses 22 and 24 where it says put off and put on. This one, renewed, It indicates, in addition to the decisive rejection of the old and the assumption of the new that's implicit in conversion, that there is a daily, indeed a continuous inward renewal of our outlook involved in being a Christian. That there is a daily, continuous inward renewal of our outlook. And that has to be true because times are constantly changing. Some of you have been around long enough to see a whole lot of different battles in our culture. And they're, they're, they're somewhat building upon one another, if you kind of look back at history. But they're very different battles along the process. And what we must do as believers is be able to adapt. And be able to say, alright, today I'm still thinking as a Christian. What does it look like to now engage this current culture the way Christ would? And next year it'll look different. Ten years from now it'll look real different. But my outlook continues to be renewed day by day, the spirit of my mind. Now, why did he phrase that that way? Verse 23, the spirit of your minds. You'll see it's a lowercase there in verse 23. But a lot of commentators, and I think I agree with them on this, see this as being the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, the mind itself is immaterial. It's unseen. We can, we can look inside your head. If we could just take you to the doctor's office and, and put you under a, 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 an MRI or something that can then look into your brain, we can see your synapses firing. We can tell this person's thinking about some stuff. But unless you tell us what you're thinking about, there's no thing we can do to investigate the mind. I have no idea how you feel. I have no idea what you're thinking right now. As I'm preaching, you're either going, I really agree, or I'm like, oh, what's for lunch? There's a whole lot of things going through your brain right now. There's nothing that can be done for this immaterial thing in the mind. Maybe that's what it means by the spirit of your mind. But NLT, if you have a New Living Translation, I think they make a pretty good decision here with the text. It says, let the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. 
John Gilwin writing, he says, The Spirit that is in your mind, that is, by the Holy Spirit who is in the saints and is the author of renovation in them, or rather the mind of man, which is a spiritual nature, immaterial and immortal. That The Holy Spirit of God, one of the activities of the Holy Spirit of God is renovation, constant restoration, and that His intention for you in your brain is renewal. To, to shovel out the old, the garbage, Gigo, garbage in, garbage out, that the Holy Spirit is in there going, nope, this stuff's got to go. And begin to fill you with what is true and what is real. This is why Paul writes to the Roman church in chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed then to this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewal of your mind. That is the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and is acceptable and is perfect. And for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Not conformed, but transformed. How? The renewing of our mind, which is the activity of the Holy Spirit of God in me. Now, what is my responsibility to yield to that? I say, okay, I know. And this is the hard part, and this is the challenge. I'm not belittling this today for you. Some of you have got a very different life experience than me. You've gone through a lot of different things, a lot of different challenges that I may have not faced. I may have faced some things you haven't faced, however. But nevertheless, our stories are the same. That we have to come to Christ and say, I know there's some things I, some things I think that aren't from you. And it's really challenging me because I've thought this way for most of my life. And the reason is A, B, and C. And you list those out and put them at his feet and say, God, but what about these things? I've been hurt here. I've seen this. There's a reason that I, I'm in on this ism, God. I'm asking, would you renew me? Help me to think correctly the way you would think. And I have to do that again and again. Because the old self just keeps, that, those old clothes just keep, they keep beckoning me to put them back on. They fit so good. That's why. They were, so, they were well broken in. Let's just say that. I really broke those in well. And they call back to me. But if we'll lean in close and take a sniff test, I should never put those on again. And if we would look at them clearly and step back, we go, wow, that thing is full of holes. It's pretty ratty. I probably should throw it out. And that's what we do day by day. Throw it away. How do we do this? I think Psalm, there's a lot of Psalms I could go to today, but here's one. And if you take nothing else away from the sermon, perhaps this one would really challenge and motivate you and encourage you, and that is to pray out the Psalm, Psalm 139, where the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think something mighty would change if you would just simply pray this and believe this daily. And this would only take you a few seconds to do if some of you are struggling with finding time for your devotional life. Start here, perhaps, and say, God, search me. Because I know this much, something's off. Like, I think most of us are self-aware enough to go, something's not quite right and I can't put my finger on it. Search my heart, God. Help me to see where I'm motivated for something evil or something that's... Less, less than you. Start, try me and know my thoughts. And then lastly, lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that this week with me. Read the scriptures this week. Be in there. Search me. Lead me. Here's the third way. The third clear way he gives, and that is to put on the new self. 
Similar to last week, but this part is, which is the mind of Christ. Put on the new self, which is the mind of Christ. Verse 24 is really where I get all of that. It says, put on the new self, this new self which is renewed in the spirit of of your minds. This new self which is now created after the likeness of God. It begins to see itself correctly. The mind of Christ begins to tell us, wait a minute, I was made in the image of God. Wait a minute, it's important that I live out the way the Creator has intended me. If I see clearly, if I'm renewed in the spirit of my mind, I begin to go, okay, I know who I really am. So not only do I see others clearly, not only do I begin to have peace and joy in these things that are are the mind of Christ, and not only do I begin to understand better His purpose, but also I begin to see myself clearly. That's what he's talking about in verse 24. I would understand the likeness of God, the true righteousness, the true holiness. And these things now become available to me. We've done the demo now. We've put off. We've done the destruction. We've done the waiting game, the work day by day, which we have to continue. There's maintenance. But now the finished product. This is what he speaks of briefly in verse 24. That we would begin to experience true life, holiness, righteousness. Which is not our own, but Christ's. Which he's imputed upon us. We now have available the mind of Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I've been quoting this all morning. That the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And what does it look like to put that on? Well, we've got more scripture there. And this was a passage I almost picked for my main passage today, but I, I decided this one had more to do with humility than anything else. In Philippians 4, Humility and and anxiety as well. But Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, take note of this. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, now that's very different from the culture there, isn't it? Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When you turn on anything else, any type of news or anything else, you'll see whatever's awful, whatever's the worst, whatever. And that's what we're constantly bombarded with. In fact, this is kind of the human story. When you go into your workplace, when you deal with your coworkers, 90% of the time it's, you would not believe what happened to me on the way to work this morning. Such and such almost ran me off the road. How, how infrequent is it that someone says, you wouldn't believe what happened to me? Everything is perfect today. My toast was perfectly toasted. Coffee, perfect temperature, tasted glorious, right? I never hear this. 
Now, I know it happens sometimes. Every once in a while you get good news. But most of the time, if not almost all the time, you're bombarded with whatever's awful, whatever's unjust, whatever's destructive. Rather than Paul says, no, a shaped mind, a mind that's renewed in Christ, begins to look at things different. Even those really hard things and goes, okay, God, what are you doing in that? Where are you at work in that? What's worthy of praise in that? Whatever's true, well, here's what's true. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Here's what's true. I'm a hot mess, and yet God still loves me. That's true. Whatever's honorable, wow, God is honorable. Whatever's just, he's all just. Whatever's pure, there's a lot of pure things. Love, there's so many. And so I begin to break down my brain a whole lot different. Instead of seeing everything as just the worst, I see what God is doing. Paul says, practice these things. Practice these things. That we put this constantly at the front of our thinking. This is why he says in verse 19, the opposite in our main verse today, he says that the, the, the old person, the old man, the old self, practices all this other stuff, sensuality and purity, but rather what we should be about is practicing the things of God, what we've learned, what we've seen in Him, what we are learning in His Word, what we've heard from other believers. Whatever is true, practice those things. Practice them again and again and again. We have to do this, right? This is the idea of repetition. And we understand it in almost every other capacity except for our Christian walk. We understand we have to be repetitive in so many different ways. I know at the end of the day, I'm not going to get physically stronger unless I lift every week, a couple of times a week. Otherwise, guess what happens to me? I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you've got some kind of magic fountain. It only takes like one to two weeks for me to lose everything I've worked for. And it takes me all year to get close to back to that of constant residual work. And it hurts. And my body hurts. And it doesn't look great. And six months later, I'm like, okay, I'm seeing something happening. And then two weeks after that of doing nothing, I'm back to my slop. We understand that physically. We understand that mentally. If I'm going to go take a test, I've got to repeat these things in my head. Otherwise, I'm not going to know how to, how to test well. Because I don't remember. Even though I read it. Even though I've learned it and I understand it and its premise. I cannot remember the details. So I repeat them. I have flashcards. Blah, 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 blah. And yet with my spiritual walk, this should just come natural. Wow. I've put off the old self. I've put on the new self. Done. It's not how it works. It's not how it works in any other capacity in your life. It's not how it works in the Christian walk either. That's why he says whatever's true. Practice these things. Practice these things. My son decided this year to do wrestling, which so blew my mind, right? Because he's a little wormy little guy. And I was thinking, man, and he did it all on his own volition. I'm like, okay, cool. The good thing about wrestling is you wrestle guys your weight. So it's wormy guys against little wormy guys. It's great. And they're all fast, and none of them are strong. It's wonderful. And, and they're just moving really quick. But he's trying to learn, and he's, he's pretty teachable, which is fun. And I wrestled for four years in high school. I got pretty good as time went on. But the thing, the thing you cannot overlook is just repetition. There's, there's no way of overcoming that. If you want to get better, there's something you do to attack called you take a shot. There's no way to get better at that unless you do it a thousand times, a million times. You need to do it a hundred times a day. Shoot, shoot, shoot. And that's what we used to do. We'd just be on the mat. Shoot, shoot, shoot. And then you get into a match, and what do you know? You shoot well. And then, okay, great. I've got the guy down to the ground now. Now what do I do? Well, then 
every single day, a hundred times a day, I've got to do a half Nelson. I've got to do some other move, some pinning move. I've got to do them over and over and over. If not, my hands won't be in the right place and I'll get myself beat. I won't be able to pin the guy. I'll be stuck. This is wrestling, but it's everything else in your life. You do them over and over and over. So that what? When the test comes, you can do it. So why do I daily practice the things of God? Why do I every day get into his word? Why do I get into prayer? Why do I constantly try to renew my mind in Christ Jesus? Because the tests are coming if they're not already here. If you've not been practicing, you won't be ready. And you can be ready. You can be. Repetition. Are you ready to get this stuff in you? I hope so. And it's no, there's no easy road. This is no like one and done kind of thing. You've come to Christ. Praise Him for that. There's redemption. There's restoration. He's doing all that. There's heaven intended for you. All of that's true. But now there's sanctification. And I said this last week, and I believe it's true. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You are not saved by your works, but your faith produces works. Grace in you produces works. Put off the old way of thinking. Do the demolition. Learn to continually submit your thinking to Christ. Do the maintenance. And put on the new self. Keep practicing. I said this last week. I want to encourage you again this week. If you're not in a small group with us, please try to find one that'll fit. Maybe even we have a campus in Wilson. Maybe some of you live closer that way. I don't know exactly where all of you live. We have like 19 small groups at our Wilson campus. Maybe one of those fits you. We have four here. Mike, yours meets on Wednesday nights. Is he in here? Wednesday night? We have three on Wednesday night right now. So if you like Wednesdays, there's some, chance, there's some good chances, right? Mine's on Tuesday night right now. We'd love to open up uh, more nights that might fit you better. But right now, we're kind of where we need to be unless people start, people that aren't currently in want to get in. Something can happen there, and I'm not going to make you this promise. Every night isn't like mind-blowing. You know why? Because people are people. And sometimes we show up tired. They happen at night after work for most people. And so sometimes we just come in there and just throw all of our baggage onto the counter together and go, look at this mess. And it ain't great. Right? Then there's other like awe-inspiring nights. Sometimes we eat really good. Sometimes we just eat a bunch of random junk, which I think we kind of did last week, my group. We just kind of like, that was a hot mess, but kind of yummy. And we, we never know. And, you know, small group is like that. But something amazing can happen there that can't happen elsewhere. This fellowship of believers, unless you're making, an, you're making a clear attempt every week to be with believers in some capacity, you're missing something of fellowship. Because what we're doing here, this is wonderful. We should corporately worship together and get into the Word together. But where's your opportunity to unpack this with believers? It doesn't happen here. So I would suggest small groups are, is what we have put in place. But maybe if that doesn't work for you, Get a, get a group of, of men together. Get a group of ladies together that can meet on a regular basis and go, this is what I'm dealing with. This is how the word is challenging me. This is the things I'm struggling with. We need discipleship. We need fellowship of believers. Participate in a small group. 
keep, keep coming, keep listening to these sermons. And if you're willing, I've been doing these every day. I'm not saying that every day I'm going to have some kind of awe-inspiring thought. But he's working on me, just like he's working on you. I'm posting these on Facebook. If you don't have that, well, just, I don't know, hit me up and I'll, I'll send it to you. Miss Nevada, she's not here with us today, but I've literally been sending hers, mine to her every morning, just to her. Because she's not doing Facebook and I, I'm down with that. I don't know how else to get it to her, so I'm just texting her. So if that's where you are and you want to know what I think, I don't know why, but if you do, I'll text you. And uh, let's go through this stuff together. Let's, let's begin to practice and begin to be renewed and transformed in our thinking together as the body of Christ. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of restoration. <laughs> that this idea of renovation, I don't know if it, it is challenging some people in here to do more like in their own strength. God, I, I, pray, I pray that you would remove that right now. That the intention of, of what, what, what you wrote, wrote through Paul to the Ephesian church, that what you, the intention of the, the, the epistle to the Colossians, that all of these things that we've wrestled with so far was not that we would, would be more or do more, but rather we would yield. And God, I, I really pray that over myself and over your people, that what we, we need to learn is how to yield, how to abide in you, how to say, God, I know the mind of Christ is already in me. Help me now to yield to that. And the effort that I put into that is to spend time with you. It's to get serious about my relationship with you, God. I'm thankful for that. I recognize that as very true. That I can't just make changes just by my own will. Yeah, I can do them for a season, but can I maintain them? Often not. Normally not. Because I need the power of God in my life. I need your power, God. The Holy Spirit power in my life. That's the only way that I'm going to see permanent, significant life change. And So God, would you begin to shape me, shape your church, your people, that we would lean into you daily. That the main, the main part of this, that the opposite of futility or emptiness is knowing you. If that's true, God, encourage us. Remind us when we wake up tomorrow, when we lay our heads down at night, all throughout the day that there's moment by moment moments where you just let us know, hey, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to... I'd like to have just a moment with you, Jonathan. Just I have some thoughts about what you're thinking, about what you're doing. That we would take time to know God. That we would yield to His Word. That we would abide in His presence. That's the effort that we begin with. Simply, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. And I really mean that. I'm going to spend less time focused on the material and so much more on the spiritual. That I believe this stuff. And if I do believe it, God, that I'm putting, I'm staking my, my life in it. So God, show up in a mighty way. Show up in a powerful way in each and one of our lives this week. That there's some people in this room, I know, Lord, that have not spent much time with you in a while. Maybe they've really never had a habit of prayer. Maybe they've never really had a, a habit of, of listening to you and, and reading and, and being inspired, encouraged from you through your word, God. Maybe there's never been a really a habit there. But God, this week... They'll take the simple challenge of just trying to get to know you better. That the, the, the bottom line effort they're going to give this week is, I'm going to start every day in prayer. Even if it's 15 seconds, I'm going to start every day in prayer. Search me, God, lead me. Try me, God, test my thoughts. I'm starting my day that way tomorrow and the rest of this week. 
I'm going to take that challenge a little step further, Lord. I'm going to read. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to start in the Gospels. God, just speak. God, would you do the part that only you can do for us? Show up in a mighty way. I pray you would honor the obedience of your people and show up and inspire and encourage us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Mold us and make us. Help us to think the way you think. I pray that this church would really clearly be a sign of the mind of Christ in this place. That the rest of the city, that the, these relationships which are, are interconnected based on these people that are sitting in this room, Lord. They would see that the mind of Christ is so activated here. That we would start to see people different, treat them different, work different. All because you are renewing our thoughts. Would you do that today, Lord? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.